Welcome to today's family experience. My name is Chuck Hagley. I'm your host today, as well as the CEO of Project Patch. We're all about restoring hope to teens, building thriving families, and empowering supportive communities. And today, I've got a guest, um, Mark Shelsky, is with me. And and what's kind of exciting about today's um, interview is that Mark really does probably touch on each one of these things. Um, you know, he's raising teens. He's um, part of this this idea of, of building families. He's been a part of, of that side of it. And he's also a pastor of, of a community um, that really does believe in, in supporting kids and, and families. So it's going to be a fun discussion. Um, Mark, I think this is the second time you, we've we've had you on. Um, it's been a yeah, while I since think you, that's right. Yeah, you wrote the, the fantastic book, which I love, The Wisdom of Your Heart, or Wisdom of, yeah, Your Heart, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I have a stack of them that I keep giving out. So um, excellent. Yeah, fantastic resource. But this one today, we're going to be be talking about all sorts of things. But really, it's, it's your brand new book, um, Journaling for Spiritual Growth, um, Six Weeks to Build a Habit that Fosters Spiritual and Emotional Maturity. A mm. um, lot to be said there. Um, it's a beautiful book. I'll just say that from the start. Um, and congratulations on on launching this thing. Thanks very much. So let's, um, you know, just really dig in because we've got questions and and you know, the conversation, I think, is just going to flow um, as we go through it. But your description, I've already given a little bit. Um, you know, you're, you're, you wrote in your bio, you write books, you pastor a church, and from your Facebook, you drink quite a bit of tea. <laughs> That's right. The fuel, <laughs> the fuel that keeps it going. Yes. <laughs> so what else is, what else, you know, when, when you think of Mark, how would your friends um, describe you? Boy, that's a good question. I, I don't know. We'd have to we'd have to have them on and ask. Um, I uh, I am a student. I love to learn. Have always been that way. Um, part of my the way that I do my work as a pastor is that I I go deeply into you know the topic areas that I think are going to be helpful and try to understand them in such a way that I can share that in a portable way for somebody who doesn't have the flexibility and time to do the amount of study that I can do, or perhaps doesn't have the interest to do that study. Um, I, I like to be able to go deep into something and then come back with a portable uh, handhold for people so that they can, um, you know, grow in that area. That's sort of what happened with the wisdom of your heart. You know, I was going through a long-term deep process of emotional healing and recovery and the wisdom of your heart was sort of the fruit of that, of me learning a lot about how emotions work and how they show up in scripture and the role of emotions in life of faith. And then trying to put that together in a way that would be helpful for people who had that same need that I had. And uh, journaling for spiritual growth is another version of that. You know, I've I've been a journaler almost my entire life uh, in various forms, uh, have found it quite helpful. And as a pastor, I've recommended journaling to people for many years, but I've, I've learned over the years that it's not as easy for people, uh, it's not as easy for many people as it has been for me. And as I've listened to people and watched their experience, I've, I've discovered some of the hurdles or the, um, the sort of mythology about journaling that gets in the way of people's expectations of what it needs to be like and how it's supposed to go. And so journaling for spiritual growth is meant to be a very uh, gentle process to help somebody who's interested in developing this habit um, do that. And it's the fruit of my own many, many years of experience and digging in and learning a lot about other, you know, other experts that have uh, talked about how journaling works and why it works the way that it does and sort of synthesizing all that together and putting it in a way that I think is portable and uh, has easy handholds for people. That's, and I think there's, there's such a valuable thing there because I think so many times we throw out a phrase, especially around spiritual practices, you need to pray, you need to meditate, you need to, and we throw out these, you need to's. Um, right. And assume that it's accessible or that people know, you know, some of these words have so many different, different meanings. I think a, an interesting concept too, is, um, we were just at a conference, um, Ellie Leibowitz is a, as a, um, psychologist Yale, um, children's center, and he studies anxiety. And, and one of the illustrations he gave that I think you'd probably resonate with is that, um, there's a, he, he, Ellie was was hiking and he came across this cliff where people were rappelling down. So it was a family doing rappelling and there's a child that was on the 
on the edge getting ready to go down. And he could hear this voice yelling up to the sun, just go, you know, just do it. It's fun. And when he kind of carefully looked over the edge, there's a dad dangling 10 feet down, totally confident, trusting the rope, spinning around, playing, not right. realizing that on the edge of that decision-making was a kid that didn't have that same confidence, didn't have that same experience. And there was a huge disconnect between the dad that had done this forever and the child that's the first time. And I think that's to me, um, when I, when I hear some of the spiritual practices taught, they're taught from people that have been over that edge, hanging on that rope for years. Well, that's a great illustration. It's exactly right. It, it, it's, not, it's not a problem only in spiritual practices. Uh, it's a problem really for anybody who teaches any practice or habit or, or lifestyle tool. Most people who teach these things teach them because they've had a good experience with them and they, have a, they personally have a deep experience with it and they teach it from that position of success. And the people that are listening are not people who have that experience, yeah. right? And and so they have misconceptions in their mind. They have their own uh, hurdles of insecurity. They have things maybe they've tried in the past that have the same name. Mm-hmm. And so they tried it and it didn't work. And so now they're kind of inoculated against the idea that it's going to work because the version they tried in the past didn't work, right? That happens with journaling a lot where I will talk with people and like, oh, I journaled and it wasn't really very helpful to me. Well, when we dig into what they did, it turns out it's different than the thing I'm asking them to do, Yeah. right? But because it's the same name, the same banner, uh, it's easy for people to misunderstand. And so what a perfect illustration, right? When we are challenging uh, somebody to take up a new practice, an adult or even a kid in that example, we need to find a way to talk at the level that a beginner needs to hear. We need to be able to address the fears, the concerns, the anxieties, the questions uh, that they have because we had to do that Mm -hmm. any of us that have become skilled at something we did that at one point right we were beginners but very often people who become good at something get disconnected from that beginner mindset you know we've all had teachers right and you know i had a physics teacher in high school who just couldn't get why people didn't understand what he was teaching (laughs) he was so deep into it it just made no sense to him right he was completely disconnected from that beginner's mind and if you're going to teach somebody, you've got to be able to address that person who doesn't have your experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you really described this book as a process from conversations in coffee shops to writing. A, I, I mean, it, it's taken iterative forms to get to the point that, that now it's something that, that you can hold in your hand and, and buy at a bookstore, buy online. It's, right. it's been yeah. a journey. Yeah, this, this is, a, you know, this little book, it's not that that big. Um, is the fruit of many, 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 many years of having this conversation with lots of people, right? And so I had my own experience. And then as a pastor, I knew that this was such a rich tool for me. I wanted people that I worked with to benefit from it. And so I would make recommendations or I would encourage them to do something and be in relationship with them long enough to see when they misunderstood me, (laughs) when the thing that I was saying wasn't working for them and why, why was it not working? Where was the miscommunication happening? You know? And so over many years, um, this is the fruit of that to, to be able to offer what I think is a reasonably accessible, gentle and generous access point for a really wonderful practice that I think has the potential to be transformative for most people. Um, but I know that that means there has to be space for people to adapt it into their own life in a way that works for them. You know, that's the only way that I've seen it work over time. And I think generous is a, I mean, I, it really does as I read it, because I'm one of those people that I've started habits that, and I overdo it. I'll, I'll just yeah. say that, you know, if I'm going to start a marathon, I'm going to go out and buy every single piece of you know equipment right. that I need. And right. by the time I'm done, I've got fatigue from that, you know, so it's just kind of, I, I think the general approach as well as a real sportive approach is, is clear from the, you know, from the very start of the book. And I, I haven't finished the 60 day process, you know, I decided as I, as I um, bought these books that it's like, okay, I'm going to enter it as, as, as you recommend is, you know, take your time daily at a time um, to go through the, through the 60 day process. So what is the cost of not journaling (laughs) on, on someone? Well, I, I think maybe what is behind that question that I can answer 
I, I don't know that journaling is going to work for every single person, but journaling opens up access to a way of processing our internal experience that I think anybody who wants to pursue maturity as a human being, uh, emotional health and well-being, spiritual maturity, needs to have this kind of space of reflection somewhere in their life. And maybe they won't do that with journaling. Maybe they'll develop some other way to do it. But journaling works very well to create this space because of the very shape, the nature of the practice. And so that's the thing that's missing. The thing that's missing is reflection and metacognition, right? Thinking about thinking, thinking about feeling. You know, we, we talk a lot about how people learn from experience. I don't think that's true. I think in general, we learn from reflecting on our life experience. Mm. Uh, you and I both know lots of people who have a backpack full of life experiences yeah. that are still profoundly immature or unhealthy or toxic in the way that they relate to people. They've got a whole list of life experiences, but somehow those experiences have not filtered down into transformative life change. And, and I think that thing that's missing is reflecting on those experiences in light of who you want to become. Right. Whether if you're a parent and you're thinking about wanting to become a more gentle, uh, more flexible, more open hearted parent, or if you're a person who's dealing with emotional healing because of trauma and you're wanting to become someone who's less reactive or mm -hmm. you're someone who's thinking about growing and maturing spiritually. Right. You have this picture in your mind of who you want to be. Are you reflecting on your life experiences, on what you've seen, what you've heard, how you've reacted to people, how you've interacted to people, what comes up when you're challenged and you face conflict? Are you reflecting on those things in light of who you want to become? That's, mm -hmm. That is the space where growth happens. And we don't live in a world that encourages us to take the time to do that kind of interior reflection. Right. The world that we live in is structured for just the opposite. Keep moving, keep going fast. You don't have time to stop and think. You got to do it all again next week. Right. And so we get into these habits of denial. We get into habits of sort of staying superficial and skating on the surface of, of relationships. And we just we just time passes. Right. We don't grow. We just get more days under our belt. Yeah. And I and go ahead. Well, and I think maybe from the very start that when people there's some people that might be listening that'll be intimidated by the word spiritual growth because maybe they're thinking that that's this um, well there's such a weighted idea to being a spiritual person. Sure, you really see it as a as a wholeness grounding toward the soul is is in essence what I mean it's it's probably hours of conversation but it's it's <laughs> right. it's much more than just this i'm a spiritual person check mark it's it's really yeah, yeah. an integration for sure you know i i i i think of religion and spirituality as different not mm -hmm. everyone practices a religion but everybody has a spiritual capacity as a human being and i think of that capacity as your essential self like who you are down in the inner place right that that sense of your identity of who you are and who you want to be in the world, right? Your good intentions about who you want to be in the world. Everybody has that. You can give it a different name if you want. Um, you know, I think in the simplest term, to grow spiritually is to become uh, fully the human you were made to be. And, you know, I have certain viewpoints on what that looks like from my religious heritage, um, but that's a layer that I don't need you to agree with, right? Uh, Anybody, any human who has intentions to grow, to be better, to be healthier, to be, you know, a, a parent who wants to be uh, non-reactive mm -hmm. and, and supportive of their children. Well, they're talking about personal and spiritual growth when they think about that, right? I want to become a person who is less yeah. triggered, less reactive, more open-hearted, uh, more able to not get ramped up in um conflict when i'm working with my kid right well that's a process of personal and spiritual growth i think those i think of those two things personal and spiritual growth as the same yeah um you know we can add a, a religious layer to that and have that conversation but i don't think that's necessary yeah and i i think that i mean to me the the 
we're living in a, in a time and in and in I think the world's always had a time that we've looked outward from us for blame for distraction for for all sorts of things. I don't think that's necessarily new, but we have a lot of really good tools, <laughs> you know, right. that are really accessible now to do that. Um, part of part of I think the challenge is that a lot of our day we spend holding up an image, you know, mm-hmm. trying to to not necessarily look at the accurate of of who we are because that's that's a really difficult thing and so part of part of the the feel that i have for for what you're working with and and i think you describe it on one of the days as a as a mirror um mm-hmm. this concept that that you're looking for a reflection that'll not necessarily with judgment but just as a hey let's let's look for reality let's let's be curious mm-hmm. and and that's the process that starts to starts to feed us yeah, I think that's right. You know, in that fast-paced world that we find that we, you know, all find ourselves living in, we're not encouraged to stop and think about what's really true. You know, when when we have a conflict with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, we're mostly motivated to cause the uncomfortable feelings to stop. Yeah. So we're going to do whatever is necessary to make the uncomfortable feelings stop. So we remove ourselves from the conflict or we power up over the other person so that they'll be quiet and let us win or whatever. We'll we'll do a variety of things. And our goal is to just simply make the discomfort stop. Yeah. Well, that doesn't help us because the discomfort is a flag indicating something that's going on in our inner places right? There's some reason why that discomfort is happening. And if we want to grow as people, we have to examine that. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to examine that, we have to have a place to do it, which is means we have to have some time to stop and think about what happened and what it's bringing up for us and why this feels like, you know, that argument I had with my dad when I was a teenager or whatever the thing is that's bouncing around in our head. And that space of reflection that's the missing piece. Mm-hmm. Journaling as a tool creates that space. But whether or not you want to journal, I think if you want to mature as a human being, if you want to grow emotionally and spiritually, you have to have that space in your life somewhere mm-hmm. where you where you stop and you think about those things and you don't just rush on to avoid the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Right? You let the discomfort be a, a indicator to you that there's something here that needs to be looked more closely at. Yeah. And I think for, for all of us, I mean, for, for project patch, for the kids that we serve our clients that that we're working with part of that, that, I mean, our, our brains try to avoid pain Mm -hmm. and our brains tend to get disconnected, you know, from, from there's not a wholeness that, that we really work towards. And, And so I think that's to me, the, 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 the concepts that you're sharing, both from a, a clients that we work with, as well as as parents, you know, I, I think the benefit is that as we do this process, and and I think for generations, you've got counselors, you've got coaches, you've got people that have used this practice as a as a tool. Spiritual guides mm-hmm. have. Um, I think the thing that you've done with this process is not only maybe not s- the the purpose of the book is maybe not to sell the concept, but to really make it accessible. You know, so someone like me that says, okay, I need to do this, but what, <laughs> Right. you know, what right, does right. that, what does that mean? Um, to me is such a beautiful thing because there's things that we know we need to do, but then how do we, how do we do it? And so can you give us a little structure? What's the structure for someone that would pick this up? What, what sort of commitment would be, they, would you be inviting them into? Sure. Well, I, I think that like you're talking about, you know, that weird hurdle when someone says, you know, your counselor or your pastor or a friend that's concerned about you as you're going through your grief says, well, maybe you should take up journaling, right? So then there's this weird hurdle where you say to yourself, okay, I should do that. And so you go to Barnes and Noble hmm. and you pick out a journal that you resonate with. You find a nice book with a cover that looks cool, you know, and you sit down in the morning with your coffee and this brand new very nice looking book and you open it and then what? Yeah. Right. Like what are you going to do now? You know, and there's all of these preconceptions about what journaling is. And there are lots of ways to journal, right? There's gratitude journals where you list things you're thankful for. There's eating journals that nutritionists will ask you to keep track of everything that you eat for a period of time. There's diaries, which are a journal of the different activities of your day. There's kind of that classic, 
stereotype of the teenage journal that's just sort of like paragraphs and paragraphs of angst and feelings <laughs> and the people I'm interested in and all that kind of stuff, right? And so you sit down with your book now and you are going to start writing words and you come to this moment where you have to decide what kind of words am I going to write? Mm. And if you don't have a plan right then, that becomes a, a moment that can uh, undermine your intention to have this space and time of reflection, right? That you have to now, not only you've decided to journal, but now you have to decide how am I going to journal? And, and if you have no set plan, then every single time you open up your journal, you're going to have to make that decision again. What kind of journaling am I going to be doing today? Yeah. You know, and so that becomes a, a, a high cognitive load, right? You're not, you're not just making the commitment to sit down and journal, but you're basically inventing your process every time you sit down. And I think what happens for most people in that situation is they just stop doing it after, you know, whatever level of initial zeal they have, you know, maybe they do it every day for a week or, you know, once a, once a week for a month. And then it doesn't really go anywhere for them. And because it doesn't go anywhere, it peters out. There's no positive reinforcement. And then they get into that situation where they're like, oh, yeah, I tried it and it didn't work for me. Yeah. Right. And so part of what this, uh, what Journaling for Spiritual Growth does is it says, well, you need to have a plan before you start. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the essential elements that make up this plan. And you need to think through what will make it work for you in your life. You know, uh, there are lots of people who will recommend practices. Therapists will recommend practices to grieving clients. Pastors will recommend practices to people who want to grow spiritually. Lots of recommendations for practices. And the trouble is that many of these practices sound great, but they don't actually fit into your real life. Mm. And so you'll have some amount of motivation and zeal to try that practice, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, a, a new way of eating, a new way of exercising, a new spiritual practice that you're going to try every day, whatever. And, and the amount of zeal that you have will sort of carry you a certain distance. But if the structure of your life doesn't change to incorporate that, that, that new practice, you're not going to stick with it. Any practice that is sustainable has to fit into your real life as your life is right now, mm -hmm. right? And so that's where this starts. It says, let's look at your real life. Let's look at how much time do you have to give realistically? When in the course of your day is the most likely time where this space of reflection would fit? You know, like don't choose a really stressful time. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my seasons of journaling, I tried to journal first thing in the morning and it was at the, a time when my kids were young and needed a lot of supervision to get ready for school. And so I had this vision that I was going to sit down and journal while they were getting ready for school. <laughs> and then I would take them to school and I would, you know, kill two birds with one stone. And of course, that was an absurd plan because they couldn't get ready without my direct involvement. And so all it did was create frustration for everybody. You know, I was mad that they weren't able to do what they needed to do. They were frustrated because they didn't have the support that they needed. Getting every single day out the door to school was this constant sort of power struggle of expectations. And I could look back and say, well, journaling didn't work for me. But in reality, what didn't work for me is I picked a time in my, in my day that was a terrible time to try and do a reflection, Yeah. right? And so we're going to think about the course of your life. When in the course of your day or week are there windows where this might work? How much time do you realistically have right now? Like you may be super excited about the idea of journaling and say, oh yeah, I want to journal an hour every day. But is that realistic for your life right now? Probably it isn't. You know, yeah. probably you have 15 minutes a day. Well, so then let's start there, right? And I think that's such a good, I mean, because any of us that are parents know that there's seasons and as soon as you get into a groove, something changes. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, and so the, the idea of how do you remain flexible and, and still be able to, to keep some of these, these, what I'd say is, I, I, I don't want to use the word commitment, but you know what I mean? If, if you have something that's bringing you life, that's a life-giving practice, how do you keep it going even with change? Um, 
And so that idea that this doesn't have to be, there's not a holy hour that you wake up and go into the comfortable chair and sit down with your beautiful book and write prose um, and poetry. Right. Um, that's not the reality that 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 would work. Maybe for right. a few in people, fact, that's their fact, practice, <laughs> but probably yeah, yeah. not. That very idea, that very idea actually undermines your ability to be successful, right? Because you're trying to measure up to this image, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, sitting in your comfortable chair, your cup of tea, your beautiful book, your handwritten prose, where it comes out in really beautiful or organized paragraphs. And, you know, like having that expectation in your mind is the very thing that will make the process not work for you. Yeah. Because every time you do it, you're going to be trying to measure it according to that standard. And, and that's how you're going to decide if it worked or not. And what I try to encourage people in this process is to basically just say, look, the standard of success is that you showed up. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, and, and recognizing that life has unpredictable ups and downs, uh, interruptions, that's normal for you to miss a day because your kid got sick is not a failure of the practice. It's mm -hmm. normal life for you to go on vacation and, and realize, like you take your journal with you because you, you think ahead of time, oh, I'm going to be on vacation. I have so much time to journal. And then you get on vacation and you discover, you know, the thing I really want to do every day is sleep in yeah. until I just wake up naturally. And then I'm going to be hanging out with my family. And so you end up going your whole vacation without journaling and you get home. And you're like, oh, I was a failure. No, no, no. You weren't a failure at all. That's normal life, yeah. right? It's that expectation of perfection and performance that is killing the spiritual practice. Yeah. Well, right? and, the thing that will allow you to do it is having this gracious sense of flexibility that I'm a human living a human life and I can just keep coming back to this as I'm available to do it. That's success. Yeah. And I think that voice of judgment is such an interesting, I mean, it's just it's so loud some of the mm -hmm. times of like, this isn't you know, both on the practice, if you miss a time, the other aspect of it that I think you, that, that I get the hint that you spend some time on is the, the expectations we put on the ta-da moment right. of, right. you know, light shining on, on clarity. I mean, I, I, there's gotta be clarity, but the expectations for, for it are, are probably stifling. Right. No, that's exactly right. You know, the, the truth is I've been journaling almost all of my adult life. And the truth is, most days, journaling feels exactly like writing some words down. Hmm. Like, that's it. Not particularly special, not particularly holy, not particularly insightful. Like, that is a normal day for journaling. But the habit of journaling over time creates this space and this mental experience where you begin to integrate and think through the experiences of your life and you do have moments of clarity mm -hmm. and those happen when they happen. You don't get to construct them. You don't get to say, Oh, today is the day where I have clarity. That's not how this works. It, it happens because you've shown up repeatedly over time and it will happen unexpectedly. And that one day will be this amazing moment where a lot of clarity comes together about, whatever about your relationship with your daughter or about the struggle you've been having at work or about your sense of how God sees you, you'll have this moment of clarity and that's really powerful and life shaping, but you didn't get to decide that today was the day I have that kind of thought, right? You have that thought as a fruit of faithfully showing up over time, practicing this practice where you carve out space to stop and reflect. Mm -hmm. And you and I have both, um, and I'm not outing you in doing this, we've done work with with therapeutic work with with professionals. Right. Yeah. And I do sense that some of what you're sharing, not to not to overly change the subject, but a lot of people go into counseling thinking that there's this session is going to ta-da, cure me. I'm going to walk right. out of this place. And there are the moments of of absolute clarity because that that relationship is is a powerful thing, but it is a process. You know, right. the effort that you put in and there's going to be work that's done inside and out of session. And there's going to be times that it's it's amazing, marvelous, like you describe. And there's going to be times that it's like, OK, that was really hard and I'm not sure it's productive. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, because there's because in like in that example that you give, when you go into that session and you're sitting down with your therapist over the course of time, there's a lot of things that are happening. You're building trust. 
you're you're getting comfortable with the space, especially if you're somebody who's not been very vulnerable before. You know, you're developing a shared language about how we talk about this kind of stuff. You know, you're giving the therapist background so they know about where you come from. Like you go through all of these things and all of that together adds up to create those moments of insight. And with a journal, it's just exactly the same thing, right? You are building up a set of practices. So when I sit down with my journal, you look at me at the outside from the outside and you're like, oh, Mark's sitting down to journal now, I can see that. But what you aren't seeing is inside, I've developed over time a muscle memory of what it means to sit down with my journal, right? For me, that means that my body knows that when I open the journal and I sit down, the first thing that's going to happen is silence. And we're going to sit in silence for some period of time. And there's some tools that I have to sort of help declutter my mind and focus in in that silence. And I've done that long enough that now when I sit down to open my journal, my body just knows this is what we do now, mm-hmm. right? And, and I have a very busy kind of fragmented mind. And normally I can squirrel, you know, on yeah. all kinds of things. But because I've been doing this for a long time, when I sit down with my journal, my brain just knows, oh, this isn't the time for that. That stuff is going to get dealt with later, you know? Yeah. Well, that didn't happen the first time. Yeah. Right? The first time I sat down in silence to journal, my brain was running around like a panicked puppy dog. You know, it took a while yeah. to build the expectation that it's okay to sit in silence for a couple of minutes. The world isn't going to end. You know, I'm not going to come unhinged. It's okay. And then and then to shift to where that silence is welcomed and comfortable. And then to shift to where that silence is actually feels like preparing me for what's happening in journaling. All of that has occurred simply because over time I've continued to show back up yeah. to the practice, you know. And and so you're you're doing the same kind of thing. You're you're basically learning how to be present in this moment to your intentions of personal growth or spiritual growth or growing as a parent or whatever it is that you are setting out to accomplish, you're learning how to do that. And so yeah. that's why that first day that you sit down and you're like, oh yes, I should journal. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And you sit down with your journal and you start with your pen and that first day is not going to be amazing. Yeah. Because you have not, it's like the first day with your therapist. You haven't done the work yet to build up what does this space mean to me? What's my posture when I come to this space? Why am I here? Like you haven't done any of that. And so in the book, Journaling uh, for Spiritual Growth, it's written in this format where if you, you don't have to do it this way, but I recommend that you take it each, it's written in short sort of daily readings. And it's set up so that there's five of these a week for six weeks. And so it's written that way so that you will begin the process of thinking these things through in small manageable pieces so that by the time you get to the end you actually know the answer to the question (laughs) why am i doing this what is what is it that i'm pursuing with my journal what is the shape of my journaling practice going to look like so that when i sit down to do it i'm not having to invent it i just sit down and i have a i have a routine i have a practice Uh, if you come from a church background you might think of it as a liturgy right i have i have a designated routine that i'm going to go through and i don't have to invent it every single time i sit down and in fact that's a gift right that is not a bad thing it's a good thing that structure gives your heart and your mind freedom to process without having to do the extra overhead of figuring out what today's journaling is going to look yeah. like. Yeah. Well, and and I I'm really interested in that that concept because part of part of what this book feels like is and it's short chapters. I mean, I short means different to different people. We have some people that that listen that are listening because they don't like to read. <laughs> right, sure. sure. And I'll just say for them by short, you know, it's 10-15 minutes. Right. And that's you know, it's not and even that's probably, yeah, I mean, it's, it, they're, they're not long chapters, but what they feel like to me is they're, they're easily digestible. Um, it feels like my coach is handing me a daily assignment, you know, that's and, exactly and, what it is. Yeah. That's exactly right. Right. Like the intention was for each of these chapters to be something that you could read. And then each one ends with a prompt that you're going to sort of journal on, you know, as you're beginning to build the habit of journaling, you have a question or a thought to reflect on. And it's been designed so that you can do the entire thing. You can read it and do the journal prompt 
in under 20 minutes. Okay. Now, obviously, obviously some people are going to want to go super deep on the journal prompt, you know, and they may want to take an hour to respond to it. That's your own business. Yeah. Right. But it's designed so that somebody who is at that place where they're like, I need this to practice, but my life is so full and so busy. I don't even know how to begin. Like, okay, just plan on 15 to 20 minutes a day. Each chapter is about one thing. Yeah. One thing only one idea. And it's going to introduce that idea to you and it's going to give you a question to think about and if you do that today and you do the next one tomorrow and you do the next one the day after that or every other day whatever routine works for you you're going to slowly be working through the steps necessary right where you begin in a situation where there's no way you could do 100 push-ups yeah so today we're going to do one push-up, yeah. right? Let's do one, yeah. do one push-up. Let's talk about the form of the push-up. So you do it right. Let's do one, you know, and then tomorrow we're going to do two, you know, and if we just keep working through that by the end of six weeks, you'll have a very clear picture in your mind of what this is supposed to be like. And you'll have built a practice where you know how it feels. You've done enough of the modeling by answering these questions that you know how it feels that you'll be in a place where you can design a sustainable journaling practice that will work for your life, for your season, for your particular needs. Yeah. Well, and I think that, well, at least the feedback I have, and like I said, I haven't, I'm three days in, so I'm not, <laughs> my, my spiritual muscles for journaling aren't that strong yet. But at the same time, um, it doesn't feel like I've done one push up. You know, each chapter has left, you know, even though it's one thought, it's it's significant. I, I will say some of the things that just jumped out so far, um, even early on, is some of the stuff we talked about is is really defining what it is, you know, and, and giving myself mm-hmm. a chance to process because there's so many assumptions that go into this, you know, everything from yeah. what do I need to buy to the fact of this isn't a diary or or you know the the voice that you're writing in, making sure that it's not something that you plan on, you know, even having other people read, all those right, <laughs> right, all, all that basic stuff is I, I will say that even though I've been around the concept of journaling, I've tried before, it was suddenly like, oh, <laughs> I wish I, I hadn't thought about that. And I can see where I'd thrown up roadblocks, you know, or I can see where mm-hmm. trying it mm-hmm. differently in this way is going to really free me up from from different things. Um, so I think with each of the which, which e- of the the roadblocks, well, which of the roadblocks do you feel like you've seen in your own experience? I, you know, one of the things that I I probably was more toward the diary side. You know, in the sense that I just had to really get this okay. nice thing and and really capture all these things. And I felt like when I was doing it, that I wasn't writing necessarily for myself. You know, I I really did have that idea that someone else is going to be looking at this at some point. You know, not that I think I'm going to have a presidential library, but that is, you know, in the (laughs) sense that, you know, and so that that part was there. The other thing is that I've even though I write quite a bit, I tend to um, have quite a bit of anxiety around writing. And Mm -hmm. so for that side, you know, looking at at what I'm writing, spelling errors, you know, all that sort of stuff was really glaring to me, you know, when I saw it. Yeah. And so, you know, both two of those things, I felt like, you know, even from the start of this process is that it's like, okay, this is for you, you know, and then turning off the editor, you know, taking that process out of it was, was a, was a really helpful thing for me. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think those are super common hurdles for people. The fact that journaling requires writing makes us think of people who are writers, Right. Mm-hmm. And so we imagine, oh, journaling is about creative writing or it's about the process of being a great writer and I'm writing sentences, which means I'm editing to make really good sentences and all that. And and that that is one of those perfectionist hurdles mm-hmm. that gets in the way. Right. Because now what I'm writing down is curated and edited and it's no longer the thing we need it to be, which is simply metacognition. We need to be thinking about our thinking, thinking about our feeling, you know, and, and so that, that is a very common hurdle where really the reason why journaling is effective (coughs) is because at the heart of journaling, there's this very simple mechanism. You're thinking thoughts in your brain. You're coalescing those thoughts into words, which means you're having to choose particular words. 
and you're writing them down or you're typing them on a screen. That's the mechanism of journaling, right? You're thinking, you're coalescing into words, and you're capturing those words in some form. Yeah. So that, that looks like writing. So we naturally think about, oh, I need to do good writing. But the reason why journaling is effective is not because you're generating good writing. The reason it's effective is because you are capturing the butterfly of thoughts and feelings and pinning it down outside of your brain so that the brain that was having thoughts and feelings can now step back from those thoughts and feelings and look at them in a more objective way, right? And so, and so the, the mechanism of journaling, the choosing of words and writing them down, the thing that matters about that is not that the words are beautiful. The thing that matters about that is you have externalized something that is subjective and internal, right? Our thoughts and our feelings are subjective and internal. And it's very hard for the same brain that is currently having thoughts and feelings to evaluate the thoughts and feelings it is having. Like you have a more powerful brain than I do if you can do that yeah, simultaneously, yeah. right? And so what journaling allows us to do is to just externalize that stuff. And in externalizing it and being able to look at it from the outside, that is now when we begin to do the process that results in growth, where I can look at that and go, oh, see, that's what I was thinking about that conversation I had with my wife. Now that I can see it outside my head, it does seem silly. Huh, yeah. interesting. Why? I wonder why I had that reaction. And now I'm beginning to think about character and who I am, right? Which I would never have done if it was all just residing in my head in the moment of conflict. And so that's the mechanism that makes journaling powerful. Now we're going to give it a particular target, right? We're going to give it a particular focus. Journaling for spiritual growth is about emotional and spiritual growth. But you can use that mechanism for any target. That's yeah. why business coaches, that's why business coaches say you should journal. That's why nutritionists say you should journal. That's why, you know, grief therapists say you should journal. They're all saying you should journal because this mechanism, yeah. the ability to externalize something that is internal and subjective. That's the magic, right? And so you've got to decide where you're headed. That's the target. But then you're using this mechanism. And so what that means then is as you sit down to write, there is no expectation that your writing is pretty mm. because the thoughts and feelings I'm having aren't, they are not organized. Yeah. They're, not, they're not pretty. They're not beautifully edited. They are a jumble. And if I'm externalizing my thoughts and feelings, it would make sense that what comes out on the page is a jumble. Yeah. Right? That yeah. would make sense. It's not going to be beautiful. It's not going to be curated into nice sentences. This is not making art. Yeah. This is simply about making something that is intangible and subjective visible to you so that you can look at it and think about it uh, freely. Yeah. Well, and, and, there's so much going on in my brain right now that I'm trying to process, but part of, from a brain science standpoint, the work you're doing is one, how do you get to the point that you're actually, that your brain is participating in this process because there's so many roadblocks to getting into that, getting into that space during that time, there's things that distract us from, from clarity. And so that process of getting paper, you know, thoughts mm -hmm. onto paper is, is, a brain hack, if that makes any sense, because our brains don't necessarily want to do that. <laughs> right. Sure. And then the third part is, is that boomerang part of, as you do it, the brain reabsorbing what's on the piece of paper, mm -hmm. you know, so it really is a, is a, is a flow that's going on. And so I could see where, where if having that guide to help you through each one of those steps, Mm -hmm. is useful and where, where a lot of times journaling wouldn't be as accessible because each one of those steps could be a, a point of a roadblock. Right. And the roadblocks are going to be different for different people, yeah. right? Which is why this it's why it's important that what I teach in the book isn't a single particular way to journal. I yeah. do offer a template that, uh, that, uh, that I found to be very effective, but throughout the book, I tell you, you're going to structure this in a way that works for who you are, for your temperament, for your season of life, and for your particular needs. And I make a lot of recommendations about options. Like the book has a giant appendix, like 40 pages of appendix. And that appendix is almost entirely dealing with this question. What are different ways to 
to do these aspects of journaling. So like in the model that I teach, there's sort of four elements I call the spine that keep the journaling on track so that we don't sort of uh, have, um, uh, you know, the, the normal routine of life is that everything sort of degenerates from our good intentions mm. to sort of the lowest common denominator, yeah. right? And so by having this spine, you're going to keep your journaling practice on track rather than degenerating to what's easiest. And so if the spine is, is four things, and there's a million ways each of these four things can be done. So the four things are silence. We start in silence. Mm-hmm. And that's because the goal of journaling is metacognition, which means we've got to unhook from the busy mind. We have to step away from that. And so the very beginning is going to be we're going to sit in silence. Well, if you're just starting and you only have 15 minutes to give to this process, sitting in silence for you might be learning how to sit in total silence for a minute, Mm -hmm. which you may not have ever done before in your life, right? And noticing how loud your brain is for that minute and practicing over weeks learning how to set aside that busy, that busyness of mind so that after several weeks of doing this, you can actually have a minute of sitting in silence in your mind. Like that's the starting point. Then there's two uh, blocks of reflection. And because this is structured for spiritual growth, um, I just call those uh, inward reflection and Godward reflection. Now, if you are not coming from a religious background or, or if the spiritual aspect isn't interesting to you, you could think of that as inward reflection and reflection about your best intentions, mm-hmm. right? So inward reflection is let's stop and name what's going on inside of me. Okay. Right? That's where we have to start. And that might have that, depending on where you're at and what your needs are, that might include things like paying attention to the state of your body, you know, like that was a big deal for me early on in my emotional recovery. I was so disassociated from my body that I didn't have, uh, I didn't know the connections between what I was feeling emotionally and what was happening in my body. And so that was part of my practice. Not everybody needs that, right? Um, but you're going to pay attention to what's going on in your own mind and heart. That's a block of reflection. And then Godward reflection, for me, that's about thinking about who who is God in my life? Who is God inviting me to be? What, what is God's uh, ideal for the kind of person I'm becoming? Well, for somebody who doesn't have that religious background, they might just simply be thinking of, who do I want to become in the world? Maybe mm-hmm. this is a parent, right? And this parent is dealing with a child that has a lot of trauma. And the parent is going to start with thinking about their own internal reality, what's happening for them. That's a block of reflection. And then their second block of reflection might be thinking about the ideal of what kind of parent they want to be, right? I want to be a, you mm-hmm. know, and then they're going to have whatever that model is, and that's going to structure their reflection. And then the last part, again, because it's structured around spiritual growth, I call it prayer. But um, that last part is really just an opportunity to sort of synthesize and commit to who you're going to be for the day, right? So we start in silence. We have some interior reflection. We have some reflection about ultimate things, what's most important for me. And then we have a commitment. How, how This moment of journaling, whether it was 15 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever I did, how is this going to factor into my life today? Mm-hmm. Right. It could be something as simply as, as simple as, okay, I'm going to, I've been feeling really cynical lately. And probably what I need to do to deal with that cynicism is I need to just pay attention today for good things to be thankful for. That's my commitment for the day. Right. And so that's going to give me some fodder for what my journaling is going to look like tomorrow as I do that. Right. So you've got these four elements, silence, inward reflection, Godward reflection and prayer. There's different ways you could frame those. But as long as I have those four elements, each of those four elements could be a wide variety of things, right? So if I'm able to journal for 15 minutes, then it's going to look like a a minute or two of silence, five or six minutes of inward reflection, five or six minutes of Godward reflection, and a couple minutes of prayer. Boom, I'm done. If I've been doing this for a while and I've found it to be fruitful and I want to spend more time, that might be 45 minutes, right? Where I have five minutes of silence and 20 minutes of inward reflection and 20 minutes of Godward reflection and a couple minutes of prayer. But you are going to, you're going to find your way to that based on where you're at in your life right now. Is this a brand new habit to you? Are you building this from scratch? Do you have 
uh, just a, w a little window of time? Do you have other particular needs? You know, are you needing to focus on, are you needing to focus on parenting? Are you needing to focus on uh, emotions? What What is happening in your own journey that needs to be incorporated in this? And by okay. the end of the, um, <laughs> so then by the end of the six weeks, you'll have thought through these different elements yeah. and then you'll have a structure. And then part of the plan is that you reevaluate that structure periodically. So for me, I do it every year in the fall because that's a natural season of new things in my family. I've got school age kids. My wife is a teacher. So our life is sort of rebooted every September. And so I do that with my journaling. I sit down and I say, okay, the process that I've been using this year, does anything need to change? Yeah. You know, am, am I feeling comfortable with the length of time? Am I am I finding that the the elements that I'm using are still fruitful and meaningful to me, or do I want to shift them? Do I want to try something different? And that's part of what makes this a, a sustainable practice. Is I'm not committing to do the exact same thing forever and ever and ever. I know that I'm going to have a period where I come back and evaluate it, and I decide what part of this is working for me, yeah. what part of this is not working for me. How can I tweak it? So that for the next season, it's effective. Yeah, but it is. I I think that that idea of um, for me when I've I've done things, part of I think the, the I I have a watch that tells me when I need to stand up. You know that right. that yes. <laughs> the circles and all those things are being closed, and I do tend to be one of those people that try to close the you know the rings and do all that that sort of stuff. Um, part of the the struggle that we have in this in this world right now is that that we get into systems that tell us what to do that that we're not being engaged in does does that make sense and so you mm -hmm. run when you maybe shouldn't run you mm, you rest right. when you should maybe do something else and so i think that that idea that you're having that reflection built into the system so that it is flexible you know yeah. for the time that you're in and also that power of of this is a process that i'm engaged in it's not that, that i'm just doing it I'm engaging in this in this process, um, yeah. And I think that's where where you know some of the feedback that that as I was reading different people that wrote wrote about your book that have read the whole thing, unlike me, <laughs> is that they've really seen it as as something that has way more flexibility and life to it than they expected. You know that yeah, it is a, a guide. Yeah, it provides the structure they need, but it's still the flexibility. And to me, that that as we look at at the audience, you know, for both parents that that are listening, as well as maybe some teens that are out there, if they really are looking for something that that they say, well, you know, I'm I'm willing to give this a try. Um, really, the next step that they'd have to take to to do this is is pretty easy. I mean, you maybe you can just share what would they do to where do they find the book? Um, you know, sure. resources around it. You know, the support that they need. Yeah, so so the you know the book is available in all the normal book places, you know Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can get it at my website, um, and and the way the book is structured is it's going to walk you through the steps you need to take. Right, you talked about earlier on about you know if you're getting into a new sport, you know you kind of have that tendency where you want to go out and buy all the equipment yeah. so that you have it all right, and you start right out of the gate looking like a pro. Yeah, you know. And then you're kind of almost demotivated from doing the the actual stuff because you've already gone through this whole process of of going through the, you know, figuring out what's the right equipment and buying it. And now you have it and you look like a pro, only you've never really done it yet, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the way the book is laid out is it basically starts with the assumption that the only thing you're committed to is giving this thing a try. That's it. And so you're going to get the book and you're going to read the first day and the first day is going to give you something to think about. And if you're in a place where you can do it every day for five days a week, great. Then the next day you read the next day. If you're not in that place, if you're in a place where you can only do this once or twice a week, then the next time you can do it, you open the book and you read the next, the next, the next day yeah. and you read that and you do the reflection and you think about that. And you're just going to, it's going to walk you step by step through the entire process. And, and that's going to include what does journaling look like? Why do why do you want to do it? What is the need that you have that you're trying to address? And then let's talk about things like, should I write in pen on paper or should I use a computer? Yeah, we'll talk about that too and we'll figure that out. Should I journal in the morning or should I journal at night? Yep, we'll talk about that and we'll figure that out. You know, like we're gonna work through all the aspects of it so that by the time you get to the end, you have clarity about it 
so that you can actually do a practice that will work for your life. Mm -hmm. And the book is going to make recommendations about that. It's going to give you lots of options of different things that you can try. It's going to ask you to try it for a few days and then reflect on how that worked and, and make some adjustments. You know, that's all going to happen in the course of the book. So really the, the starting point is just get the book. If this sounds interesting to you and read the first, read the, the very first week, read the first day. And if that speaks to you and to where you're at, then just continue step-by-step step through the book. And the end result is not going to be that you journal like I do. Mm -hmm. The end result is going to be that you discover a way to journal that aligns with who you are and what your needs are and what amount of time you have to offer to the practice. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, for the, for the people that are out there that have maybe given this sort of thing a try in the past and are, are, you know, a little bit reluctant, this really is, is a, is approachable. Um, and, and I think for, for, teens that are listening that maybe are, are saying, you know, this sounds like an old person thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've been doing it a long time. I haven't. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I can imagine this would serve a teen so well, you know, to, yeah, I, to be I able started to do this. journaling. I started journaling as a teenager. Um, my dad died when I was 11. I have had enormous trauma from that experience and did not i didn't live in a culture where people went to therapy and so while i did have a therapist for a short window of time it was not a very helpful process to me and so as a teenager i started journaling with sort of the intuition that i needed a safe space to process what i was feeling and to think about what i was thinking about without having to be in the presence of a grown-up who had opinions about it mm. and so this process that i lay out uh, will work for a teenager because the teenager is going to design a process that works for who they are. And it's going to look completely different that one of my, you know, I have a, a, a friend who has gone through the book personally and with her kids. Hmm. And in that family, her journaling is going to look way different from her kids journaling. Yeah. Right. Because they're in different places in life. They have you know, different things they're interested in understanding and expressing. And that's, that's perfect. That's yeah. great. That's how it should be. Yeah. Right. But what will work for uh, a teenager is that this process, I don't say you have to do it like me. I just walk through the process of, you know, defining what journaling is going to look like, what it means to do this, giving you a rough structure and asking you to find ways to do these four different spine elements that work for you. And so like for a teenager, sitting in silence might just simply be, okay, I'm going to commit to doing this journaling. And for five minutes before I write, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to not look at TikTok. I'm not going to text my friends. I'm going to just have five minutes where I am not connected mm -hmm. to the rest of the universe. Just so that my heart can be ready for what I'm going to write in my journal. Yeah. Right. That might be the practice of silence yeah. for a teenager. And then they sit down and they take stock of what they're thinking and feeling. And then they think about who they're wanting to become. And then they make some commitment about what the day is going to look like for them. Well, that that would be incredible. Right. Yeah. If I had had this resource as a teenager, um, it would have been transformative for me in ways that it took me many, many, many years to get to um, because I lived in a culture where the expectation was that you didn't process this stuff. Yeah. It was internalized and that was the end of it. Yeah. Well, and I want to thank you for that because I think the combination that you've written, you know, I think wisdom of, of your heart was, was for me a really helpful book because it, it does such a good job of putting emotions in context. Hmm. You know, what is the purpose of this emotion? Where do you feel it? Why do you feel it? I mean, the idea that, that what is anger compared to jealousy compared to, you know, all these mm -hmm. different things, um, really putting language to it has been a, a real helpful tool. This second tool to me, I think goes along with it is that as you start becoming more aware, taking the time to, to use tools like this, um, to me, I see, I see these two things going hand in hand, you know, mm -hmm. so I really do encourage people to, to give them, give them a try, start with the journal one, maybe, you know, and then maybe there might be some, some sense of going through um, wisdom of your heart as, as, as you, as you do this next practice. So Mark is for, well, some people are listening. It's Mark with a C. Have you ever had people do coffee where it's Kark? 
Yes, I get. I I am one of the people in the world who gets that meme sent to me with regularity. <laughs> so Mark with a C M A R K, and then Sh- um, Shelsky is S C H E L S K E. Yeah, M A R C, and then my website is my name M A R C A L A N S C H E L S K E dot com. And um, you know, I'm on various social medias uh, as well, but I try to make sure everything that I do is findable from my website. So if you find my website, you can locate the books and videos and various other things that I do all from there. Yeah. Well, Mark, this is this is a huge gift. Um, I really do appreciate your, your friendship over the years. And I, I do really challenge people to take this seriously. I mean, this is a real good opportunity to, to maybe reach a... a step of personal growth that's that's been maybe a little bit out of reach um you have some tools you have a guide um you have a coach that's going to take you you to there so um any final words mark that you'd like to share with our with our audience well i i write because i want to uh help people and this book is very much grown out of that commitment you know this is something that has been important in my life and I've wanted to be able to make it accessible for people beyond kind of what has worked for me. And so I hope that there are people out there listening who are wanting to take a next step of personal growth or spiritual growth or maturity in their parenting or in processing something they've been through. Um, and I hope that this can give them a, a gentle and gracious tool to help them do that. Well, I'm looking forward to 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 one one more resource from you that's going to help me with that and i know others others will too so hey thank you for your time today mark thank you for everyone that's that's taken your time to listen um i really do appreciate it um if you do want to connect with the resources we'll have show notes and all those things but the most important thing you can do today is is go connect with your family and use resources like this um to connect with with yourself baby even hey go out there and change your family change your life thanks for listening